0: All righty. Grab your Bibles. Hold them up. This is my Bible. God's Holy Word. I can be what it wants me to be. My mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will not leave the same. All right. Well, Clayton's awake, so not sure about the rest of you. Anyway, get up and do some jumping jacks. I know we're all conserving energy because it finally cooled off, and so we're not, we're not going to exert any more energy than we have to, and so our heat kicked on for the first time. Anyway, we're going to get to Genesis chapter number 12, Uh, it'll be a couple minutes before we get there, long introduction, I apologize, but anyway, it's football, like I said, it's cooling off, so football season, right, and... uh, I I don't know that I, I I guess I'm a casual Lions fan, I guess. I'm not big into professional as much, but uh, being from Michigan, I guess I'm a casual Lions fan. One of my, one of the funniest stories I ever heard, I want to say it was when Joey Harrington was the quarterback of the Lions. Uh, I, I, I think he got sacked like seven or eight times in the game. And in the post-game news conference, they they asked him some questions, and, and in the course of the uh, he was he was like, that's the worst offensive line I've ever played for. And uh, not exactly the smartest thing to say, uh, because the very next week, he got sacked five times in the first quarter. And so, listen, they, they very well may have been the worst offensive line in the world, but you don't... Say that. What you do is you do this. Eli Manning, when he played for the New York Giants, brought in a professional tailor and had custom fit clothes made for his linemen. His reasoning was that because it's very difficult for people that size to buy clothes, he wanted them to have nice Properly fitting clothing. Russell Wilson of the Seattle uh, uh, Seahawks this uh, past year uh, bought each of his 13 linemen $12,000 in Amazon stock. A gift that cost him $156,000. When asked why, he said this. When I sat down to think of ways to honor your dedication, a dozen ideas came to mind. Some were flashy, some were cool, but I wanted to give you something that had a lasting impact in your life, something that would affect the lives of you, your family, and your children. Listen, he said this, you have invested in my life, so I'm going to invest in yours. So this morning we're talking about the ownership of our treasures the ownership of our treasures our god given responsibility with accountability this is going to be an interesting because we're we're going to get to genesis chapter number 14 but we're going to start in genesis chapter number 12 but to lay the delay the groundwork a, a little bit, if you will, we're we're talking well in Genesis chapters one through eleven, an essential unit compromised of four major events: creation, fall, the flood, and the Tower of Babel. So by the time that we end, we reach the end of Genesis chapter 11, the sinfulness of man has been on clear and repeated display. Then we turn the pages to Genesis chapter number 12. Look at verse number 1. It says, Now the Lord said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee, make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed, as the Lord had spoken unto him. And Lot went with him, and Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance, and they gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Shechem unto the plain of Morah. And the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said unto, th- unto thy seed I will give this land. And there build he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he moved from thence unto a mountain in the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hanai on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed going on still toward the south. Let's pray, Lord. We come before you this morning, Lord. And again, we're thankful that you allowed us to gather and worship, Lord. So we just pray that you'd speak to our hearts this morning, Lord. And just give us a good week. We ask these things, your name. Amen. Hebrews chapter number 11, the the faith chapter. You can turn there if you want to. But it says that by faith, Abraham, when he was called, he obeyed. After he obeyed, he received an inheritance. All the while not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in a foreign land, dwelling in tents, seeking a promise, looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. Abraham's faithful trust, again, in, in, the, in the Jewish, it, it was Jehovah Yahweh, is the exact personality, title, that we're referring to. Obviously, we know that that was God. But Abraham's faithful trust of Jehovah was one of the ways that he could be a blessing to all the families of the earth. God was making his name glorious, faithful, through the faithful life of one of his servants, through the choices that he did. And of course, all the while, this was ultimately pointing to the coming of the choicest of servants, the Jesus, whose perfect faithfulness would qualify him to die on the cross. So the ultimate sacrifice for all of our sinful. Look at Hebrews, or Genesis chapter number 13, verse number one. And Abram went up... Out of Egypt he and his wife and all that he had and lot with him in the south. And Abraham was very rich in cattle and silver and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. It goes on to, and again, we're familiar probably with the events that transpire. Listen, it was, it was between Abraham's servants and Lot's servants. Abraham and Lot didn't necessarily have a problem, but their servants, they were fighting over, I mean, you know, no, that's, that's, that's Abraham's sheep. No, that's Lot's, and so on, and so forth. The dispute between them. Because they didn't have enough space. They didn't have, excuse me, enough grazing land. So Abraham... Listen, this is important. Abraham told Lot to choose the best land and said he would take what was left over. It would have been more gracious if Lot would have said, no, you're older, you're the leader, you should choose first, but that's not the kind of man that Lot was. And again, we have hindsight. We know know what happens to Lot. And that's one of the primary purposes of these chapters, to showcase the beauty of a faithful life like Abraham against the backdrop of many people just living for themselves. So the scriptures tell us that Lot selected the well-watered plains in verses number 12 and 13. Then an interesting event takes place. Here's, here's Lot outside of the gates of Sodom and Gomorrah. And an interesting event takes place. We're about to meet 10 kings. All of them had, had very unusual sounding names, and I will mess them up. But they formed two coalitions. And on the east, you have the uh, king of Sh- Shinar, the king of Elzar, the king of Elam, and the king of Golem. So that's on the east. On the west, you have the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of, uh, yeah, that one's really, Zobima, and then the king of Bela, which is also known as Zor two of those kings obviously should stand out to us the kings of Sodom and the kings of Gomorrah that's where lot took his family and they eventually moved into the city with his possessions even though they were known for their wickedness and they were part of the western coalition How many of you were keeping track? I only listed nine kings. We'll get to the 10th one in a second. Look at Genesis chapter number 14, verse number one. And it came to pass in the days of Amphreel, the king of Shinar, uh, Anarach, king of Elzar. And this this is the list of all of them. That these made... War and then the list of the rest of them. One group of kings is going to get ready to attack the other group of kings, and the events that take place is that uh, plundering from the battle includes Lot and his family and all their possessions being taken. So what does Abraham do? Abraham goes and rescues him. Abraham sends his his servants go and listen. <laughs> un just think about that for a second. Here's Lot on some level causing Abraham hardship. Whether whether you know cuz his your Ranchers can't get along with my ranchers. And so just, listen, I'm going to be the bigger person, Lot. You you take the land that you want, and I'll take what's left over. So here, Lot gets himself in another pickle. Listen, by the way, by the way, remember this. Lot wasn't blessed. Abraham was blessed. And because Abraham was blessed, it spilled over onto Lot. Lot never got, Lot was never got the promise of the blessing. The only reason that he was blessed is because Abraham was. Lot gets himself into another pickle, another jam. And so Abraham forks out his own money, his own time, his own, well, his own life was put on the line to go get Lot out of this jam that he finds himself in. The west kings got beat by the east kings. Verse number 13, And there came one that had escaped and told Abram, the Hebrew, for he dwelled in the plain of Myrna, the Amorite, brother of Ashkel, the brother of Asner. And these were confederate with Abram. And when Abram heard that his brother "...was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night, and smote them, and pursued them unto Hobah, which is to the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods, and also brought again his brother Lot, and his goods, and the woman also, and the people." And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Sheba, which is in the king's dale, and Melchizedek, there's the tenth king, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. This epic victory by a very small group of courageous people that would have solidified God's name in what would eventually become the promised land. That's what Abraham did. (laughs) Remember, when God makes a promise, he has the power to keep it. He stands ready to help people carry out their respective roles in the fulfillment of of his promise, I am going to mess this up. I read it several years ago. Remember, I, I said that that lot was never blessed. He never got the blessing. He was blessed because of of Abraham. Listen, there are going to be people. It's not their responsibility. It's not their role. And when we start dragging people into responsibilities and roles, that that's not what God has for them. Now, I'm, I'm not sure if, if Lot volunteered. Just said, I mean, Lot just said he was going or if Abraham con- conversed him. Remember, Lot's father-in-law came too. When they started out on their journey, remember, they didn't know where they were going. God just simply said, Abraham, get out. And all these people tagged along. Remember, it wasn't until his father-in-law died that God told Abraham where he was going. Why? Because that wasn't part of his journey. Well, listen, God always, always, always will fulfill the promises for the people to fulfill their rules in the promise that he gives us so what happens next we already know that a guy that there's king the kingdom lot was living in that there was one those are the ones who had been defeated so Abraham rescued Lot's family And by the way, it says he got it all back. Everything. Not just Lot and his family and his possessions, but he got everything back. Yeah. This mysterious figure shows up, this King Melchizedek. You say, well, no one really knows who he is. He's one of the most mysterious figures in the Bible, although he'll be mentioned over a thousand years later in Psalms 110 and several more times 2,000 years later in the book of Hebrews. But we know this. He's both the king and a priest of the Most High. Look at verse number 19. And he blessed, and that's Abraham, and Abram blessed him, Melchizedek, and said, blessed be Abram, one of the Most High, Professor, Heaven, and Earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him tithes of all. So he brings bread and wine, and we don't know if that would have been the entire army, the exhausted soldiers, or just for the leaders. But in front of the wicked king of Sodom, Melchizedek has a worship service where Abraham's God is praised for his power and deliverance. So right there we have the Abrahamic covenant being fulfilled already. Abraham took 10% of the spoils and gave them to this priest of the God. The first clear evidence of the principle of giving, what we refer to as tithing, 700 years before the law. See, this, there's, there's these people that think that, well, you, you don't have to give to the church because we're no longer under the law. Listen, Abraham did long, long before Long before the law was ever written. So, this idea that God expects us to help people with our resources, with our treasures, has nothing to do with the law. Look at verse number 21. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods. To thyself, Talk about, That was kind of rude, isn't it? The king of Sodom was certainly now in a position to make any demands. And look at the order of what he says. He places what he wants before mentioning what Abraham should receive. Verse 22, And, Abraham sa- and Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up my hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the Possessor of heaven, and earth that I will not take from a thread even to the shoe latchet and that I will not take anything that is thine lest thou shouldest say I have made Abram rich save only that which the young men have eaten and the portion of the men which went with me Let them take their portion. Lot and the king of Sodom and Gomorrah and the other ones, they get plundered. Abraham gets gets it all back. Abraham risks his life and treasure to go rescue them. And how does he get repaid? Listen, we can see three characteristics of how to handle God's blessings, the treasures that God gives us. The first thing is this, we have to take God at his word. And again, I realize that we know that, but back in Genesis chapter number 12, verse number two, I will make thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee and curse thee that curse thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Again, why it was Lot blessed? Because Abraham was blessed. Some people just read the word of God or just listen to it casually, but they never act on it. Abraham put himself in a position where this is the this is only going to work because God says God is who he says he is. As we consider the various aspects of ownership, let me ask you this question. Is there evidence of you taking God at his word of being a, courageous with what he has entrusted you because you are choosing to believe what He has promised to do. John 3:16, "What for God, so loved the world." You say, "Well, I, it, I've, I've failed in my past. We didn't read it, but if you read the rest of Genesis chapter number, twelve. That's where Abraham goes to Egypt. Convinces Sarah to lie for him. your, Your past is in your past. That doesn't matter. You've got to overcome your failures. We have to overcome our failures. He did so in Genesis chapter 14. He rounds up 318 of his own men to go against the most powerful coalition that the world had ever seen. I don't know what you, do, but that, that seems like two entirely different people. I mean, you could go throughout the, the Bible and think about you know two entirely different people. Gideon. Saul, I mean, remember when, when Saul started out, he was, he was hiding behind the stuff. <laughs> Here's Saul hiding behind the dung pile, the manure pile. Fast forward a few years later, and there he is sacrificing. He he went into the temple. A place where a king should never be. And did the job that a king should never do. All because why? He got a little too big for his britches. He got impatient. What did Paul say about John Mark? John Mark wanted to tag along. It didn't work out. Paul sent him home. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark and Paul said, we played that game once, I ain't playing it again. But at the end of his life, what did Paul say? Bring me John Mark. Why? Because he's profitable. Listen, there's all kinds of, of failures in our life. The question is, are we going to learn for them? Are we going to overcome them? Listen, failure in the past doesn't necessarily mean failure in the future. Without being sidetracked by past offenses and petty revenge. Listen, why why was Lot in the situation he was in? Because of the selfish, sinful choices he made. And it could have been very easy for Abraham to say, listen, he's getting what's coming to him. I'm not going to risk my life and my treasure to help somebody out of their own stupidity. But that's not the way that faithful people think. And it's not the way that faithful people should act. Because there's a much larger mission. We're supposed to glorify God and make sure that he's on full display. Remember a parable in Matthew chapter number 25 about the first two faithful servants. They took the talents that they had been entrusted with them and immediately it says, they went and traded what? They exercised appropriate risk by taking God courageously at his word. I've got a message that I do for... Teenagers, risk isn't a bad thing. We We're living in, in a society and in a culture that they want to say that risk is a bad thing. Listen, risk is not a bad thing. If you don't risk anything, you're not going to do anything. You've got to be smart about your risk. I'm not talking about doing anything stupid, but listen, when you back your car out onto the road, you're taking a risk that the car isn't going to hit you. That's why you make sure you look both ways. See, uh, risk isn't a bad thing. Remember that God, faith in God. Everything that, Sodom, that Lot did eventually happened in Sodom and Gomorrah and his family. Look at verse number, uh, see a pattern in Abraham's life. Look at verse number seven. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said unto him, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. Verse eight. And he removed from thence into a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west, Herod on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord his God. Look at verse number four of 13. Under the place of the altar, which he had made there at the first, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Look at verse number 18. Then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in hebron and he built there an altar unto the lord pattern of abraham's life also he could receive a blessing like we said there is not much that we know about melchizedek but there's no question about this his priesthood Was pointing directly to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Look at Psalms, chapter number 110. Psalms 110. Verse number four, the Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews chapter number nine. I mean six, Hebrews, chapter number six. Verse 19, Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast and which endureth in that within the veil, whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made and high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. If you want some extra credit, go home and, and study Hebrews chapter number seven. And it develops this subject in detail. But here's the point. When it came time for a marvelous priest king to praise God for the supernatural impact he could have on someone's life. He didn't have to look any further than the courageous and faithfulness of Abraham. The question for us today is would would we would we be faithful? Would we be courageous for the things of God by reason for others to praise? God and glorify him. Look at Genesis chapter number 28. Genesis chapter number 28. See, we're supposed to worship God. Sunday nights we're talking about worship. We're, we're supposed to worship God with our treasures. See, so do we see worshiping God with our treasures as a principle that was instituted by the law and only relevant to the Old Testament? Again, I know I told you, but Genesis 14... 700 years before, so those the people that believe that are are, don't know their Bible, Genesis chapter number 28, verse number 22. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be for God's house, and of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give a tenth unto thee. Jacob, Abraham did it. Here, Jacob's doing it. The point is this, part of our reverence for God is acknowledging that he's the giver of all good, all the good gifts. What does it say? Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from God. He just simply wants our first fruits. God built that principle into the, his desire for his people for the last 4,000 years. Listen, I realize that Kendra's even been making the deposits and she's been noticing that the giving's been going up. I'm not I'm not preaching this at at you because you're not doing it. I, I'm preaching it because, well, it's the next one that the Lord wanted me to do. But listen, we're, we're, we're doing good. Continue to do good. God's faith is reliable. God's faith is reliable. The king of Sodom could never say that he had never observed an example of gracious, godly behavior because even though he had spoken very rudely and inappropriately to Abram, Abram's response was one he would never forget. I'm just not returning your family. I'm returning all of your possessions. Why? Because I don't want there to ever be a question about the source of my blessing. Completely reliant on God. I don't, I don't want there to be any doubt. There shouldn't be any doubt who pays your bills. I realize you might have to work a job, and if you go, but listen, there shouldn't be any doubt who pays your bills. Who puts gas in your car? Who puts food on your table? The world should... Listen, I, I, I'm I. pretty sure I've, I've told you this before, but it, out of Bible college, I went and worked in uh, assistant youth pastor in Montana was there for two years. One year they paid me $3,000. And I realized that this was, you know, almost 20 years ago now. They paid me $3,000 for the year. I got a pay raise my second year and they gave me $5,000. Just average that out $4,000. The rent on my apartment was $400 a month. That doesn't include gas. That doesn't include car insurance. That doesn't include food. I didn't have a credit card. I didn't go into debt either. You figure it out. What? I promise you this. What? There's no doubt that God took care of us. I. It was. It was after we got married. I. I know that, and it was several years after we got married. As a matter of fact, I. I think it was when we were in Wisconsin. If I remember right. I. First time I bought tires. For a vehicle. You, I know I've said it. You guys think, yeah, Pastor, no, really. I, I run tires till the belts are showing, and then I use the belts for traction. But you know what the Lord did? Lord made sure that my tire didn't pop. There's been a couple occasions where people bought tires because my tires were so bad, Gave me tithes. What? Well. Listen, there's no doubt who did that. God. And Abraham said, listen, I ain't going to take anything from you. I don't want, a, listen, <laughs> and people say, well, that's because, you know, the king of Sodom and Gomorrah were, you know, really bad people. And that may be part of it. But I think a bigger part was this. He said, I don't want anything from man. Because when God does something great, I don't want there to be any other possibility than to make sure that God gets the glory. That's why we're here. For thy pleasure, everything was created. To make sure that God gets the honor. To make sure that God gets the glory. Are we taking Ownership of our priorities, of our treasures, in such a way that there's no doubt. The world, the only possible conclusion that people can come to, God did it. God did it. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning, and we are thankful that you love allowed us to come and worship.